Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome to Heaven's Gate. A score of persons from a small Oregon town have disappeared. It's a mystery whether they've been taken on a so-called trip to eternity or simply been taken. Terry Drinkwater takes a look at that story. Rocket ships from outer space. Buck Rogers' fantasy, or is it? Some This is CBS Evening News, October 8, 1975. If you heard Walter Cronkite and his crew deliver this, you might have been at home with your kids, maybe watching over TV dinner trays. Millions of people were. And CBS News was talking about what now? Here along the cloud-covered coast near Newport, Oregon, a mysterious couple appeared three weeks ago, circulating a flyer proclaiming a UFO would soon be ready to take whomever would follow them to another life, another world. They held meetings, one at this motel to recruit voyagers. The man, claiming to be millions of years old, was recorded by one of the listeners in this room. Now that you have tried everything to find a perfection or a completion... I know this is hard to hear, but it's recorded by a person in the crowd. Marshall Applewhite was up there, cheerful, calm, like an uncle you're glad to see. And he was telling these people, I know how to help with your problems. He was saying, We know that you've tried everything to find perfection or a completion or lasting satisfaction at the human level. And it cannot be done. One who attended the meeting, Judy Martin. They were talking about another level than this one, and they were saying that we were ready, evolutionary-wise, to go to this other level, and they were trying to convert people to it. And they were talking about leaving in a UFO. Afterward, as many as 20 attending the meeting simply vanished. Uh, they just said that we are going on to a better thing, and they gave away everything, including kids. Uh, all of their material belongings, property, automobiles, boats, and money, and just left. Last time, I told you how Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles found each other and then found their destiny in the Bible and in the stars. But this is the moment where they found their flock. In this chapter of our story, we're going to get into what it's like to join that flock, what it's like to really follow T and Doe and take their word as gospel. But remember, every person who went with Heaven's Gate left people behind. What's it like for the parents? What's it like when their daughter, their son, joins some group they never heard of and then is just gone? What can they do with that feeling? What can they actually do to find their kids? 
I'm Glenn Washington, and this is Heaven's Gate, Episode 3, The Mothers. I'll tell you who I am. She and Doe, whatever they want to call us. Whether or not you believe is up to you, you, you. We all have to deal with demons. We're trying to teach you how to prepare yourself. You are members of the next level. The next level. This is a little notebook I put together after David died. Remember Nancy Brown? Nancy talked with me in the first episode. She was watching that Christmas video of her son David. He was surrounded by his friends from within Heaven's Gate. And right now, I'm here in her living room in Chico, California, and we're just going through memories of her son. Oh, there's David, yeah. And he's little, and he's his dad, and... Nancy's kept everything. Newspaper clippings, old letters, scraps of paper. A quarter. I found a quarter. They always carried a quarter for a payphone. And uh, I found it tucked in a little pocket of a notebook. <laughs> it was his quarter. Photos of David spill all over the table. And then his pictures of David. I just say his big grin... He had a wonderful big grin, and he had a crooked grin because when he was born, they used forceps, and it pulled the corner of his lip down. David was always so self-conscious about his smile. He could give you a hug that you really knew you were hugged. (sighs) Nancy is the kindest person. She's generous and open. She even interrupted the interview to see if I needed lunch. Is that okay? It's just 12. Are you guys hungry yet? We're good. Yeah, yeah. we're good. That spirit's amazing, given how long she's lived with the pain of what happened to David. Nancy remembers the day David left so clearly. It was the summer of 1975. San Francisco's BART train was new. That was like a big deal. Oh, we're going to go on the BART train. One of her sons, Robert, was going to drive her over to the station and take the train with her. He said, I heard from David. I said, oh, good. What, what's new? He says, he's leaving. I said, what do you mean? He's going on a trip? No, he's leaving for good. He wasn't going on a trip or going to go visit someplace or go attend something. He was leaving his life behind. He told his brother... He said, I'm leaving all my things. He said, come and take anything that you want, because I don't I'm not I'm just taking a few clothes with me and that's it. Nancy was so confused and devastated. She didn't know what to do. So she got on the train. And I burst into tears. I couldn't stop crying. I cried all the way over to San Francisco. And then they came home, and Nancy scrambled to get a hold of David, but she couldn't. Somehow, Nancy got a phone call 
with David's friend, a woman named Lacey. Lacey had signed up for the group, too. She said, I know why you're calling. You you want us to come and say goodbye. And she said, we're not going to do that. They tell you not to do that. They, the leaders of the group, T and Doe. And I said, you, I, it's very, very important to me. Please come. You must come and say goodbye. I need to hear it from David's lips. I'll respect his decision. I won't try to prevent it. But please, this is the right thing to do. She said, well, I don't know. I'll talk to him. I'll think about it. We can't know the conversation that Lacey and David had that night, what they considered, but we do know that the next morning, Lacey and David showed up at Nancy Brown's door. Oh, he's been so grateful that they did that, that David agreed to come, and then he just sat there, you know, right across from me and told me he'd been going to these meetings, and it seemed to really speak to him, and he said, I don't know if this is the right thing for me or not, but I'm going to try it, and I'll tell you that if it isn't right for me, I will leave. So I thought, fair enough. I can still see him sitting there looking at me. He was so sincere. It wasn't like, oh, this is, you know, some little fun little thing I'm going to check out. No, he was just dead serious about it. At this point, what can you say? Your son is an adult. He's bursting with excitement to join this group and go on this adventure. Well, Nancy did the only thing that she knew how to do. She supported her kid. I said, did they need anything? they need any money? No, we don't want your money. I said, well... How about you go to need to eat? She had a van, and they had their sleeping bags and stuff. I said, can I just give you some food, whatever I have in the house? I had some apples and oranges and maybe some canned goods and stuff like that. And and they took a bag full of groceries, and, and they got in and drove off. Must have been thinking, well, maybe he'll come back soon. Maybe I'll hear from him soon. Let me know where you are. I think I probably said that. And he said, well, I'll be in touch. I don't know when, but I will be. So about a week later, we got a postcard just wanting us to know. I think he sent one to his dad's house and one to me, for me and his brothers, and that uh, they'd found the group in Southern California someplace camping, and they joined him, and that he was fine and and he was happy to be there, and and uh, that and that was it. And then we didn't hear anything again for like six or seven months. It was a really long time. After a while, the media wasn't interested in this wacky UFO group anymore. There were no more Walter Cronkite segments. No newspaper articles. There was just Nancy left along with her thoughts. I had this like a mantra. Where is he? How is he? Is he all right? 
Will I ever see him again? Is he still living? And I, I would try not to think these things, but it was just, that's what your heart wants to know. Nancy lived with that mantra and that heartache for a long time. It was more than five years before she figured out what she could do about it. But then you better believe Nancy did something. Before we get to that, I want to give you a glimpse of what Nancy and the other families couldn't see back then. What life was like for David and everyone else inside Heaven's Gate. In just a moment. We're back. Now, I promised to peek into the world of the Heaven's Gate faithful, and here you go. When I knew this interview was coming up, I went into a box. I have a whole box of clippings and, and, and information from that time. This is Teolt Heises. He joined around the same time as Nancy's son, David. And a lot of it, which my mom had saved while I was gone. And uh, I found a postcard in there that I sent to my family, to my mom and dad. So I'll read it to you if you like. It's November 1975. Yep, that makes sense. Mom and Dad, I have joined the group here at a camp. We leave today to go traveling. We are all helping take care of each other, and I am sure no harm will come to us. Soon after the two are killed and resurrected, we will be following them to heaven. Until then, please do not worry about me. I will write you again if anything goes wrong. So if I don't write, know that all is fine. Love, Teo. Imagine getting that postcard from your kid. Well, I'm sure they were heartbroken by it, and and I'm sure they were afraid for me. Take that feeling, the one Teo's parents had, and Nancy Brown had, and repeat it about 20 times because that's the low estimate of how many followers joined T and Doe after that big meeting in Walport, Oregon. While parents, family, friends across the country were gripped with worry, wondering what they could possibly do, the new members of Heaven's Gate were camping. I'll give you a picture. When, I, when we were driving up the mountain in Grand Junction, Colorado, the National Monument, I was wondering if I was going to see a UFO, you know. This is Sawyer, our harmonica-playing former member, and his experience after signing up for Heaven's Gate was pretty typical. Sawyer joined in one place in Walport, Oregon, but immediately he was given directions to meet the group far away in a beautiful natural park in western Colorado. And if he joined another time, he might have been sent to the Texas Hill Country or the Arizona Desert. They were always moving. And being devoted enough to find the group was like a test. 
But once you did find them and you got your tint, what they gave you next was a haircut. When I got to the little camping area, they cut off my hair because I had long hair like this and uh, shaved my beard because that was part of the program to not look like we looked before and not to identify with being any kind of person, you know, in particular and in our looks. T and Doe want you to sever all the connections to your past, anything that could drag you back, including how you saw yourself. Leslie Light, she joined around the same time. I did cut my hair, and I did that just because it was a symbol of my female ego vanity. I didn't shave my head or anything. I just cut my hair because I thought it was just, yeah, it was a symbol. And then the next few days were spent learning how Tian Do did things. Tian Do had a lot of new terminology for a lot of things. Including for you. That would ask you to choose a name for yourself because you're here now, not out there in the world. Most Heavenscape members put this sound at the end of their group names. Odie. Thanks, Jim Odie. Hi, Dave Odie. There's Alex Odie. Iris Odie. Stem Odie. And Lodi. There's Odie. Golden Odie. We call him Tall Odie because he's a little taller than Lagodi. Odie sounds like a combination of dough and tea, kind of. And also, Odie was meant like a contraction of God. And the letter Y is meant as a diminutive, like reminding you that you are a child because there is so much to learn before your graduation into the stars. Tian Do named everything with the heavens in mind. So a vehicle was a human body. They set up their camp like a space station. And you were kind of training to be an astronaut. Uh, the house was called a craft, like a spacecraft. The kitchen was called the Nutri-Lab, as a nutrition lab. And also, right away, you were given a check partner. We were all with a partner. This is Teo again. Everybody was partnered. It's kind of like what the Mormons, the LDS, do when they set out on their missions. You're paired with another group member to keep yourself from doing anything too human. T and Doe were each other's check partners, and they'd assign you one. The one who I was with the most in the, in the first part was Nancy Brown's son. Leslie Light says her check partner was like a test in of himself. They paired you up with somebody that you would least likely want to be paired up with. They put me with this um, crazy guy who was kind of a street guy. So, day-to-day life in the group... Get your body slash vehicle up and at them. Roll up the sleeping bag. Check in with your check partner. You know, every once in a while, you get into arguments. And you hit the road. Our day-to-day life was traveling. The group splits up into pairs and begins spreading the word, searching for new followers. They're nomads. We were given such a little amount of money and we had to travel like hundreds of miles. And inevitably, you had to make choices to you know, what you were going to spend your money on to feed yourself. The kind of wild, exciting days on the road where we, you know... I remember at a certain point we were driving an old school bus. He had... Somebody had joined the group who had a converted school bus with two cast-iron wood stoves in it. And I was, like, isolated with this guy because when we were traveling, you know, you had... You were. You had to be with your partner to get through. And 
I do remember someone said, you know, I, could I please try to have another person? This isn't working out. That's the gig. Rise and shine. Clean up the campsite. Say good morning to your check partner. I remember Erica's partner. He was a skank, I thought. <laughs> and hit the road. Unless the group is together, has met up at a campsite somewhere for a while. In which case, T and Doe hold court and teach. Meditation, uh, it offers a chance for you to get your vibrations higher. They call themselves a class, and they mean that. They teach for hours at a time. We want your mind totally on your meditation. There are roughly 125 recorded hours of these sessions, and they're the only known recordings of T's voice. We have to do it in our growth. You have to do it in yours. We have to do it again. And it's going to have to get more and more of your time in meditation. But trust me when I say, beyond the sound quality, these are not easy listening. They're Bonnie Lou and Herf tossing out new agey phrases, rambling, talking about the ultimate goal, how to get to the next level. We're trying to teach you how to prepare yourself to communicate because you're not going to have a bunch of chatterboxes in the next level. The way they described it is <laughs> talking about the next level is like talking to a dog. You know, he might understand uh, Alpo, but, you know, it's like woof, woof, woof. And so they said in a way it was impossible to talk about what it would be like on the next level because we couldn't really understand it from with our human minds. And another thing that can be hard for us to understand from outside the class, from having never sat at the feet of T and Doe, is that the two of them didn't see themselves as equals. T was above Doe. Doe looked to her as his older member, as wiser than him. You can hear it in the tapes. I don't trust my connection with the next level. How can you trust yours? I'm not convinced that I listen to the right voice at all until I uh, take it to tea. Do you follow that? But, uh, so don't listen to voices. See, Doe says don't listen to the voices in your head unless T tells you to. You think of Heaven's Gate, and if you picture anyone, you see Doe, Marshall Herf Applewhite, with that white hair and spacey eyes. But maybe you should also try to imagine T. Bonnie Lou Nettles, off-camera, unseen, but in many ways, the real leader. She is the more important of the two of them. This is Ben Zeller again, our scholar. And he says former members told him over and over that T had an aura. When you were around her, you felt as if you were in the presence of a spiritual battery, uh, that there was someone emanating energy. Uh, she is the battery. She has the sort of the, the, the spiritual energy which drives the group. Uh, yeah, to extend that that metaphor, Applewhite, he's the wiring, you know, he, he's the light bulbs, he's, he's, he's the stuff that makes it, that makes it glow. But without the battery, the flashlight doesn't work. And I wish I could understand this presence that T supposedly had, because I can't see it in the pictures. 
And you can't really hear it in these tapes, but listening to them, you just feel like T and Doe knew where they wanted to go, but not how to get there, or even how to explain it. Lift your eyes up. No. No, you close your eyes. Imagine. Concentrate. Concentrate on that spot right in in here. If you're having trouble meditating, take your thumb and press it like that. Okay? And that'll help you meditate. (laughs) Okay? This is a program. Anytime you need to relax. Well, give them one for when they're too relaxed. (laughs) Only you can work it in reverse. (laughs) One exercise was they brought in some tuning forks. You hit it and you get the fourth, the the A-tone, actually. They said that we needed to learn to tune into that tone. So like we would take that A-tone and we hit it and stick it on your head and you'd feel a vibration of it going through your brain, your know, whole head that cavity, you know. And and we try to think about that, you know. I think I still can hit it. And for what? Well, that's the thing. It's difficult or mundane as the day-to-day was. Everyone understood that the payoff would be huge. According to T and Doe, this was all in preparation for what they had promised, that a UFO would come to Earth and take them away to the next level, forever. No death, just transformation to eternal life. Now put aside the plausibility or believability for just a second. Understand, this is what the group has been promised. And this is what they truly, deeply believe. Tiendo were always pressed by some of the students for when they would leave. And Tiendo would always say, it could be months. And they were constantly asked, you know, can you be more specific, blah, blah, blah. And at one point, I think T said five years, not more than five years. And so then at five years, T felt like she had instructions to prepare to leave. And so we were still camping at that point at at Cave Without a Name, uh, which was a tourist site, in uh, Bernie, Texas. So we, we all prepared to stay up all night, if necessary, to wait for the spacecraft. And the spacecraft didn't come. I le- later learned from Doe that T felt like she had egg on her face for scheduling that. But she never explained it to us why it didn't happen. Imagine being in the position of T here. Five years of camping and teaching and promising and these true believers. Now they're standing around saying, where's the UFO? And every day and week and month without the UFO coming to get them is another day and week and month that T's role as a great prophet is vulnerable. And the way the story was told to me is they became so disheartened, the two did, they said, you know what, maybe... Maybe, maybe we're just, maybe we've got this all wrong. Maybe we're not who we think we are. And people said, no, 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 that's not so. Don't, don't doubt. This is just a test. It's just a test because everything was a test, right? They were doubting it, but the followers were not letting them 
doubted. <laughs> I thought that was an interesting twist, that they had kind of become in, entangled in a way. They had created something that they couldn't extract themselves from. People hung on. T and Doe have asked their followers not to just accept what they were saying as truth, but also to reject everything else in their lives. Cut all ties to money, possessions, career, family, friends, everything. Bonnie Lou and Herf demanded that. After all, they'd done it themselves. And if T and Doe had to do it, everyone had to. But here's the kicker. Bonnie Lou Nettles, T. Now, she didn't practice what she preached. She um, wrote me once a month. This is Bonnie Lou's daughter, Terry, again. They're in order, and they're all dated. <laughs> so, about 47. 47 letters from her mom. The same woman who demanded total rejection of family from all of her followers. And that was just between me, me and her. Hi, happy birthday, belated one. But at least I remember it. I do hope. You are getting stronger and doing okay in school. Sure wish you could realize how important vitamins are. And she went on about that vitamin bit. And Bonnie, Bonnie wasn't just sending love. And close, please find $50 for your birthday, plus $50 for Joey, Robin, and Rosalind. She was sending money. She had enclosed two or five $100 bills of this. The group's money. Do not let them know who this is from. Pretend like it's something owed you from... A past job. If you keep this promise, and in parentheses she said, I will know if you don't, then I will try to send you some more. Please use this wisely to help you get a little ahead. She kept ties to her past life, gave the group's money away, and hid it from all of her followers for 10 years. So how do you square that kind of hypocrisy? Was it just a mother being a mother to the core? Or was it something more? Did you feel ever that your mother stopped believing it herself? Yes. I received a letter on August 13th, 1982. And it's not very long. I'm going to read it if it's okay. So I could tell you why I believe it. And I believe this is because I just knew her too well. Um, She said, Terry, if you are with others, please do not let them know who this is from. I am well and safe as of now. I do hope you and Joey and the twins are all okay. And here's the sentence that is just the opposite of their M.O. that was the first thing that made me believe something wasn't right. She said, be good, strive for goodness, and by all means conform to society so you will have peace of mind. Give my love silently to everyone. Love always, Mom. P.S. I'm not where the postmarks shows. This be good and strive for goodness and by all means conform to society. I mean, who is she to say conform to society? That didn't make sense after all she had lived through. And it bothered me. 
I think she wanted out. Terry feels this so strongly. I think she realized that she was had gotten herself into something. Not one thing that they were doing had come true. Things like, you know, them dying and being resurrected, that never happened. And it was never going to. And I wish I could say there was any other sign from T that she was harboring doubts. But the only evidence anyone can find that she felt this way is this phrase in this letter, by all means, conform to society. That's a big deal. But it's isolated. T never wrote that to anyone else that we know of, and she certainly didn't conform to society herself. Yes, Bonnie Lou Nettles broke her own rules to connect with her daughter and to send her money and to stay connected with the human world outside of Heaven's Gate, but she also chose to stay inside her group and lead it for the rest of her life. Coming up, Nancy Brown realizes what she can do to find her son and help all the families like hers. Just wait. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. We're back. While one mother, Bonnie Lou Nettles, was on the inside reaching out, another mother, Nancy Brown, was on the outside wanting in. She needed to know where her son David was. One day at work, out of nowhere, I just started to cry. And when I got home that evening, I went and sat by a window facing the creek and to meditate, just to settle myself inside. And I just, I just felt so hopeless. Like, you know, nobody really knows what that's like. And then this little flash popped inside my brain. Said, oh yes, there are people who know what you're experiencing. Because they're experiencing it too. And those are the parents siblings, children of other members of the group. And I actually jumped up from the chairs like, oh my gosh, of course, how can I find these people? This is the letter. This is the letter 
Nancy formed what she called the Family Support Network. She tracked down the families of those who had been left behind. And she sent them a letter. May 2nd, 1980. I won't read the whole thing. It's kind of long. But I said who I was, why I was contacting that my son. We had one letter since he left in 75 when he was 19. And this was now 1980. And I said, my goal in gathering further information and knowledge about the group is to gain assurance or lose it, perhaps, that he is well and doing what he freely chooses and to let him know how he can contact his family, if he wishes, without fear of the response. I don't intend to interfere with his life. I do not know if the UFO cult is evil or benign. I've heard both views. And so I said, I'm in regular contact with several families in California whose children left five years ago, but I'd like to be in contact with you also and have all of the families who want to take part, you know, to share their information. So I invite you to join me in this endeavor. And I left my phone number and the best times to call. At first, and because some of the mail was returned, they'd moved on. But I started to collate the information. And sometimes they say, well, they refer me to somebody else who had talked to somebody who knew somebody who joined the group or a family member of somebody else who joined the group and wasn't related to them. So then I'd follow up with that person. It was the beginning of a network for the families of Heaven's Gate, a crack in this wall that Bonnie Lou and Herf had constructed between their group and the world. So this was like, wow, this has really worked. There are other people out there, other families going through what I'm going through who want to know information, and I have found some. Bonnie Lou and Herf were not as thrilled. And Bonnie Lou said so in one of her letters to her daughter. Um, She said, Terry, sorry I have to be so secretive, but that's the way it is at this time. Also, if you will, do not let anyone know about it, especially that network woman, Nancy Brown. She is not to be trusted. They found out that we were looking for them. They did not like it. And, of course, these were the days when there were other cults and other families would kidnap their relative, their family member, from whatever group they were with and put them through deprogramming, you know, without their consent. And so, of course, the group was very apprehensive. Nancy's right. Deprogramming was a big deal back then. It was the way a lot of families tried to rescue loved ones from cults. We'll get into all of that later on in this series. But Nancy wasn't trying to deprogram anyone. She really only wanted one thing, to hear from her son and to know that he was alive and well. So that was when, this was I had published, of course, my phone numbers, and I was always hoping I might get a call from David but in those days, no cell phones. So I got the state-of-the-art voice message machine from Sony. 
It was pricey, but it had a cassette tape you put in, so it gave somebody up to 30 minutes to leave a message. And then one day I came home, and a little light was flickering, and, oh, there's a message. And it says, hello, this is your son, David. <laughs> if you want to know how you can help uh, these parents who want to hear from someone on the trip, uh, if you would uh, print in your newsletter the names of those parents who will promise not to kidnap their uh, family members or uh, keep them from doing what they want to do, I'll promise you that most of these parents will hear from their loved ones pretty quickly. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yep, that's the call. When you heard his voice for the first time in several years, what did you feel like? <sighs> it was wonderful because, you know, that's, that's David, that he's alive, he sounds well. So we sort of had accomplished our goal. The newsletter prompted similar phone calls, including one to Terry Nettles from her mom, Bonnie Lou. It was the first time they'd spoken in years. I got an actual phone call as a result of, of Nancy Brown's newsletter. It, we had a great conversation, but I never really got to find out much about her. She only wanted to talk about me. And I wanted to talk about her, you know, and I never got to do that. This is one of their final conversations. But the letters kept coming. For a little while, at least. And this letter dated uh, April 15th, 1985. Hi, I hope you are feeling better and growing stronger. Give my love to Robin, Rosalind, and Joey, and I hope they're okay also. Been busy and active. Please accept this little gift to do with as you wish. Please be mom about it. All my love, M. That was the last letter I received from her. Less than a year later, in 1986, Terry was sitting in her college room in Dallas when she got a call from two members of the group. They called me and said they were downstairs because I was living in a dorm. I said, sure, come on in. And they come in, and they, I had a picture of Yoda on my wall. You know, I was, I was a kid. I was a college kid. And um, they said that my mom liked Yoda, that Yoda was very wise or she considered him to be very wise. He's a puppet. Uh, <laughs> um, and at one point, Liv, who was a nurse, started uh, talking about something. And I, again, I wasn't paying much attention because I really wasn't interested. I was interested in finding out about my mom and how to reach her. And um, she said something about my mom's, my mom's eye. You know, being, and I said, What are you telling me that my mom had her eye removed? And she says, Yes. And they continued on to talk. I said, Mom's dead, isn't she? Fully expecting them to say, No, 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 it's nothing like that. And they said, Yes. There is so much more behind that news. What happened to T and what happened after T. We're going to go into all of it. But next episode, we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk to Jenna Weiss-Berman, one of the show's executive producers, 
And Jenna's going to flip things around and interview me because we've heard from a lot of you that you'd like to know more about my own cultist background. And I thought, you know what, let's do that. Because working on this show, I keep thinking about that background as well. So we're going to talk about what it means when you and your family are in a cult together. And I hope you dig it. Heaven's Gate is produced by Stitcher in collaboration with Pineapple Street Media. Our team includes Ann Hefferman, Barry Finkel, Diane Hodson, Josh Gwynn, Osa Secker, Jess Hackle, Dan Taberski, Peter Clowney, Casey Holford, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, Chris Bannon. Special thanks to Ben Zeller. I'm your host, from Washington. This show deals with some hard things. And one of the hardest is suicide. There are many resources available to people who are in trouble or thinking of suicide. And if you're feeling for any reason that that might be you, please reach out and get help. One great resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The number is 1-800-273-8255. One more time. 1-800-273-8255. We hope you understand. That's the most important. Do you understand what we're talking about? (laughs) Stitcher. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30.